Hello, you're listening to the Sarah Sloan Show, and this is Sarah Sloan. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day, and that your ears are prepared to listen to some good information, because I'm always willing to share. I'm a sharing person. Sharing Shara. Ew, why did I just say that? Okay, so to start. There was apparently a big, big, big investigation that was being done on the uh, Donald Trump's company, basically. And they, let's be real, they were wanting to find something on him. Uh, Pretty much the district, the Manhattan district attorney just had, um, had sights on Trump and they were going to find something if it was the last thing they did. So let's let's kind of talk about some of the things they found. This was on the New York Times. Uh, Donald Trump's company has long engaged in aggressive accounting maneuvers that involve classifying many of its executives' personal expenses as business expenses. Oh my goodness. Put him in jail. Okay, so here are some of the details. With the aircraft... Um, Oh, wait, no, not aircraft, sorry. Haircuts, those are a little different. Um, More than $70,000 was to pay for Trump's haircuts. (laughs) That's a lot of money for a haircut. If I'm lucky, usually I can get a haircut for like 20. I have paid 40 for a haircut. That was not a good time. Very unnecessary. And for Ivanka, his daughter, it was a hundred thousand, almost a hundred thousand, paid for hair and makeup. At least she looks good, you know. <laughs> so maybe it's worth it. Um, so then, even there was a retreat for the Trump family. It was a suburban New York estate, and yeah, the they're just investigating all the money that goes into the extra things that they pay money for. Um, you know, yeah, I do question who else does things that are probably not the best with company money. And I'm sure that if you own the company and if you're at the top of the company, you feel a little differently about it. But yeah, this is definitely not what I was thinking. I thought it was going to be a lot worse than this, just based on what they were making it sound like. Yeah, basically using some business expenses and personal expenses as business expenses. Now, I think the CFO, the chief uh, financial officer, got in a little bit of trouble based on all of this, but not much. And then, um, okay, so then they had some more stuff. Yeah, basically the CFO, he pleaded not guilty as lawyers would fight the charges... Yeah. So the Trump organization spent about $1.2 million in untaxed income to allow the CFO and his wife to live in an apartment on the Hudson River. While living there, the CFO also concealed the fact that he was a New York City resident, allowing him to evade city taxes. Um, The company paid for two of the CFO's relatives to attend Columbia Prep, a private school in Manhattan, at a cost of $359,000. 
Trump personally signed some of the checks. The company illegally paid for two Mercedes-Benz for the CFO and his wife, as well as beds, TVs, and carpeting installation for his and his children's homes. And the company gave and hid, which they just say, and hid, but they don't give any details, cash to, to the CFO that he used as holidays as holiday tips. Man. Yep. Basically, if you are not liked, if you go against the left, they are going to look into everything that you do and they will try to get you in trouble. I, I've I've heard that there's so many laws out there that pretty much everybody breaks the law like every day of their life. Everybody does because there are so many laws and with tax, uh, with tax accountants, you know, basically you could go, if you have very complicated accounts where you own multiple businesses, you have stocks and everything else, um, overseas stuff as well. Their accountants, they have trouble. Basically you could go to five and they're going to give you each different amounts. They're not going to be able to account the same things. It's so complicated. The tax codes are ridiculous. And I kind of think that they do it on purpose because they have all these rules. They hope to get as much money from us as possible um, so that people in the government can be paid more. And then the second they don't like you, then they can look and see that if you broke any other rules. But if they have no problem with you, then they don't care. Of course, we never think about this. Um, a senator of California, Diane Feinstein, she recently is uh, was selling her house. Um, let's see how much that house cost. Well, okay, she makes about like a, I think around one hundred and fifty thousand a year, which is still a lot of money to be a senator. So, a person making that much, they probably do have a pretty nice house. I would guess probably they have like, to be fair, maybe a anywhere from two to $5 million home, you know, cause 150, that means her husband probably makes some good money as well. So yeah, they probably were able to somehow get a two to $5 million home. Nope. $41 million home. How does a person making $150,000 a year purchase and have and sell a $41 million home? And if you're selling a home, that means you're buying another. It's scary. No one wants to look into that, though. And they are beholden to the taxpayers. She is, at least. But Trump has a business, and they're looking into what he's doing with business money that, you know, somehow it's like, oh, this businessman is evil. A businessman only becomes rich because they have something that people want. How is that evil? A senator becoming rich when we don't... She has no service that I want to pay her for. I'm basically forced to pay her. <laughs> That's what it is. And then she's able to make more money. And it's because she's doing things she's not supposed to do. So let's weigh out what, what's better. And we all know about Biden as well. Biden has tons of money. And they always try to, you always notice the, the, what do they call him? The boy from Scranton. 
He rides the Amtrak every day. They always say stuff like that. And they try to emphasize the fact that he's just an average Joe. He's just an average guy. When in reality, he has tons of money. Tons and tons and tons of money. Oh, it's ridiculous. But yeah, Trump is the most evil thing that we've ever seen in the world. Okay, so then the other story that's pretty interesting. Uh, Politico wrote an article. Um, They had (laughs) anonymous sources, which, yeah, interesting to see this from the other side because we saw plenty of this whenever Trump was president. Anonymous sources that are working for Kamala Harris and they were basically speaking poorly of uh, the office environment. It's not a healthy office environment. So um, here, let's start off with a clip. Apparently, working for Kamala Harris is no walk in the park. 22 current and former aides telling Politico the the VP oversees an abusive workplace where morale is low and concerns are ignored. The outlet painting this unflattering picture, quote, people are thrown under the bus from the very top. There are short fuses and it's an abusive environment, said another person with direct knowledge of how Harris's office is run. It's not a healthy environment and people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people feel treated like bleep. And although much of the criticism is aimed at the VP's chief of staff, many of the sources are blaming Kamala Harris herself, saying the toxicity all starts from the top. The alleged mistreatment is a big difference from President Biden's promise to staffers. I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you, I will fire you on the spot. On the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. Harris's chief spokesperson, Simone Sanders, defended the VP and said people who made the claims are cowards. But this is not the first time Harris has been accused of fostering a bad work environment. In fact, Jesse, back during her presidential campaign, this letter was uh, sent in as part of a resignation in which the staffer said, This is my third presidential campaign, and I have never seen an organization treat its staff so poorly. It is not acceptable to me that we encourage people to move from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, only to lay them off with no notice, with no plan for the campaign, and without thoughtful consideration of the personal consequences to them. And around that time, there was a New York Times story that had 50 (laughs) uh, staffers quoted saying similar things. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, so... um not a fun place to work, working for Kamala Harris, but hey, at least she's black, and at least she's a woman, thank God, because man, that's really all that matters. Now, I'm going to play some more of the clip, and then they're going to bring up the other side of this, that I think it's, you know, they're trying to be very objective on this show, that probably is just a bunch of whiny babies, <laughs> that just can't take a tough workplace. And I I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I, I know some people and if their boss doesn't ask them how they're doing or how their weekend was, their day is over. Their day is ruined. It's crazy. But some people really are that way. For other people, maybe they have more of a tolerance. If their boss yells at them in their face in front of everybody, then that's their breaking point. That's much more understandable. Let's be real here. Um, So (laughs) I I definitely understand both sides of the argument. But um, one of the things that they were explaining in the article uh, was that the, the trip to the border where she went to El Paso, it was extremely 
last minute. Um, it left people scrambling. They were trying to make travel arrangements. Um, they were trying to craft messages. Uh, we played some clips of whenever she was there and she was speaking near an airplane. And, you, you know, that is not, it was like chaotic there. You couldn't hear her hardly at all. Um, in one of the videos, it shows uh, the journalist basically having to put this microphone and not the cool kind of handheld microphone like a boom microphone like inches from her face and she's almost like you know it kind of bothers her at first and then she realizes oh yeah you probably couldn't hear me if if you didn't do that and then she kind of you know gets over it but it you know not the best place to work and well totally understandable that the person stayed anonymous but then you also have to wonder, like, who is it? Who's saying this? Can we really trust it? Because that's always what frustrated me so much with these anonymous reports about the Trump administration. There was some person that was like, I'm I'm near the top of the administration, and I'm plotting against the president. I'm like a secret spy, and it's evil what's happening in here. He's trying to ruin the country. And they figured out it was this guy that actually wasn't even really that high in that high of a position. And he was just trying to kind of create some clout for himself. But it's so different in these kind of places because basically, okay, I work at a place. Nobody cares. <laughs> but if you work at the White House, people care. So, all right, I might have a, a bad day at work. I might tell somebody. I'm not going to see it on Politico, what I said. <laughs> but yet, if you work in the White House and you say something, you could very well see an article <laughs> come up and every news outlet talking about it. it. It's so crazy to think about that. So here, let's um, let's play some more. I have the suggestion that President Biden is, this is not me saying, this is others, that she is being set up to fail by being given really tough issues to have to deal with. Well, she failed at her own presidential campaign running for the nomination. So this isn't this is something that she's used to and good at. And that's failing at tasks assigned to her. They all they did also put her not just in charge of the border and the immigration problem, but also in charge of, of efforts to protect voting rights. So in terms of disintegration, her potential for being the next president of the United States is disappearing. But I personally love uh, Simone Sanders' comment. One of, the, one of the lines from her was about, we're not making rainbows and bunnies all day. So she's in essence saying, we don't care about your delicate feelings. Our hostile workplace is okay because we're doing hard work. In essence, she's saying that you know, suck it up and buck up buttercup. We're doing God's work here. If you, you know, if you don't like it, go work for Jenny Granholm. I, I kind of like that attitude. I like that attitude too. It's maybe they hired a bunch of snowflakes in the VP's office maybe and they're so. all complaining. Well, you know who's also tough is Tina, uh, Tina Flournoy, her chief of staff. So she worked at Philip Morris and was very active. There's a, we published, Fox News did a memo from Flournoy saying we're working with the USA to kill the Medicaid liability bills over smoking. That's how tough she was in the mid 90s. So. And Harold, some people on her staff think that she's basically being held to a higher standard than anybody else and that this is just not fair.
She probably needs some new staff members. Um, look, you don't take a job working for the president or the vice president thinking you're going you're gonna to get the proverbial 25 years, four years, obviously, I understand, and a gold watch. These are tough jobs. Uh, and you want smart people, tough people, people who can handle the back and forth, people who are, don't get afraid with a bad headline or tremble or rattle. Uh, and she probably needs to hire, hire some new people. Look, you know, some people have suggested there she gets hard, hard, uh, assignments. That's what the vice president gets. I've not heard the vice president complain about that. And we can be critical of other things about her, but I think it's unfair uh, to be critical when these people work at the pleasure of the president. There's only one person at this table who had that honor. Uh, and when the president doesn't want you to work or vice president wants you to work for me more, you got to move on. So, you know, I, this is not a, 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 a great about her performance as vice president, but I tend to agree with 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 uh, Simone Sanders, who I don't know very well. I tend to lean more towards what she's saying. Again, if there are allegations that they want to make about the workplace, they should make those allegations. But to come to work and say it's hard <laughs> and that it's tough and that, gosh, how am I going to do this? You need new people. This is this is a real job. We got real challenges to stare down here. The staff that talked to Politico, they didn't go to the HR department. They went to the media. Mm. Yeah, and you know, um, we talked about the uh, I, I they used the phrase petition rhetoric. You know, it's rhetoric that de deliberately intensifies behavior, so it feels important. And when you actually look at it, it's there's nothing there. So this is what you call the the rhetoric of bullying, which is like, it's the workplace is abusive. It's not healthy mistreatment and toxic toxicity when you actually drill down into that it's like well he didn't say hello to me in the elevator right it's like stuff like that and it's like you know what that that kind of rhetoric sets me off and makes me think it's a bunch of whiny brats you know her office doesn't suffer from a moral intense atmosphere it's a it, it suffers from a bunch of like really fragile babies. A lot of them. Yeah. This and, and also, to, you know, we have to be fair because this is the this was the this type of story was the main entree on CNN when Trump was president, right? It was all this anonymous blather that sounds exactly like this every day. There was this. Someone says X. Oh, somebody's having a tamper, tantrum. It was like oh, this is the low-hanging fruit for petty people. So she might actually be a bad boss. She might even be a bad vice president. But once you're a boss, this is what happens. And I'm defending all bosses here because uh, <laughs> somebody has to. Somebody has to speak out for people who constantly get back fighting weirdos, upset because oh my God, oh, shut up. Nice you, I'm talking to you. Yeah. I'm sure they love the imitation of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Great Gutfeld. He's a funny guy. Um, yeah, so uh, this was a part of the article. Recently, a Harris friend personally reached out to Florinoy. I, I don't know how to say her last name. Basically, the chief of staff. On behalf of one of the party's top donors to try to arrange a brief meeting. They were ignored. The friend said it wasn't clear whether Flournoy knew who they were. The donor also contacted Harris's office personally to connect and didn't hear back for weeks. They eventually were told the VP was too busy to schedule some time. They should have went to uh, El Paso, and then they could have seen her. This is someone who has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions even, for your boss, and you're just blowing them off, the Harris friend asked. Next time Kamala wants them for something, it's like, hey, I couldn't even get a call back from your chief of staff. <laughs> yeah, so that does look pretty bad. Someone that gave millions of dollars, or sorry, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then you just like completely blow them off. Like, 
you know, if someone gives me a thousand dollars, I'll blow them off. If they give me 50,000, I blow them off. The second they start going to the hundreds of thousands, I'm like, okay, maybe let's get some coffee. That's just the way I do things. For me, it's like a pretty high bar. We got to talk some serious money if you're going to get some of my time. Because my time is valuable. So I do kind of empathize with, um, with Kamala Harris. And then, of course, you know, this whole, like, friend thing. Hey, you're impressive now. You're, you're the first female vice president. Um, we're friends, right? Can we talk? Like, no, I'm kind of busy. I'm busy. I can't really talk to you right now. Oh, that's really mean. How about for a million dollars? Immediately just goes to money. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're also kind of talking about how Harris, you know, she has a complicated position right now. Um, her task is more complicated. It's not clear whether Biden will run again in 2024, at which point she'd be the logical standard bearer for the party. She has also felt an acute need to, to demonstrate her loyalty to Biden after working hard to earn it prior to being nominated as his VP. For that reason, some outside allies acknowledged that Harris has gone out of her way not to engage in politicking, either subtle or, or overt, giving the sensitivities among Biden's own team. But far more of the allies maintain that it's unreasonable, foolish even, not to support efforts to burnish her own profile, while seemingly every other Democrat with national ambitions is not uh, or is allowed to hobnob with political acquaintances and cozy up to donors. She's been in public life for 30 years. Cuss word. You don't just all of a sudden go radio silent. (laughs) She's the most perceptive person on the planet, the person said. She might not have had first-hand knowledge, but it's hard to imagine she doesn't have a sense of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it, it... Leave. If you don't like the job, leave. Like, are are you really shocked that she's not the best boss? Are you really surprised? Of course she isn't a good boss. You could take one look at her. You can hear one cackle and you know. I could have told you not to take a job with her. You're like, well, but this is a good opportunity. I don't know if I'll be able to be in the White House again. It's not worth it. Listen to her laugh. And then they listen, and then they're like, okay, you got a point. You got a point. <laughs> yeah, so, um, okay, this was uh, basically a row of questions, and this is also one of the questions that the uh, Fox News reporter is asking White House uh Press Secretary Jen Psaki, a.k.a. my hero. Go ahead. Thing, Jen. Is the White House concerned that some vice presidential staffers reportedly feel like they work in a, quote, abusive environment? Well, I would first note that I try not to speak to or engage uh, on uh, anonymous reports or anonymous sources. I will say that uh, the vice president is an incredibly important partner to the president of the United States. She has a challenging job, a hard job. Uh, and she has a great supportive team of people around her. Uh, but other than that, I'm not going to have any more comments on those reports. Okay. Hoping to clarify the administration's position here on defunding the police. You say the president does not want to defund the police. Uh, is the president concerned then that last year the now associate attorney general, Vanita Gupta, said it was, quote, 
critical for state and local leaders to heed calls from Black Lives Matter and movement for Black Lives activists to decrease police budgets. Well, let me first say that as a Fox News report uh, that came about in February quoted, uh, quote, current and former police chiefs in more than 53 cities across the country, as well as the National Fraternal Order of Police, are issuing their support of the nomination of Vanita Gupta, President Biden's nominee for Associate Attorney General, praising her leadership and record and urging the Senate Judiciary Committee to quickly confirm her to the post. I don't know that that was your report or not, but it was certainly one from your network. But she said, okay, so that's the Fox report. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and Senate testimony, she said she wanted to decrease police budgets. So She also she made explicitly clear in her confirmation process that she opposes defunding the police. Uh, and the president ran on, most importantly, did not run on defunding the police. He's always opposed defunding the police. I'll also note, because you've asked this question before, or a few times over the last several days, that when we talk about uh, individuals uh, in Congress and their support for funding or uh, opposition to funding for the police, I think what the American people are most focused on is how people vote what their record is, which is a public record. And I will note that while the president ran on and won the most votes of any candidate in history in a platform of boosting funding for law enforcement after Republicans spent decades trying to cut the COPS program, which again is public record, we don't need to uh, under, under, uh, undervalue the, the intelligence of the American people, uh, the president ran on increasing that funding. It's in his budget. It w in President Trump's budget, he significantly cut that. So that's a change. And the American Rescue Plan had a great deal of funding for local and state authorities, something that can support funding for local police in communities across the country, something many have used. It doesn't require me telling you names of individuals who opposed the American Rescue Plan. Every Republican opposed the American Rescue Plan, and I don't have time to read out all their names today. Okay, on another... Man, very, very slippery. She is a tricky, tricky little sucky. Yes, she is. Um, <laughs> they're funding, you know, just like things for the police. They want, they want the psychologists to come. They want the social workers to come and join the police. That's her idea of funding the police. It's not what we want, where we want more cops on the roads, more cops in the neighborhoods for safety reasons so that they can come if anything happens. Um, if a 16-year-old if a girl is about to stab another girl in the heart, you want a cop to show up. That's what we have in mind versus they want a counselor to come up and be like, hey, let's just talk about this right now. Hey, that's their idea of funding. So, but the way they make it sound, it it's like, oh, well, Trump was wanting cuts and all this stuff. Trump was probably just doing something that was trying to be um, a little bit more fiscally responsible. A word that I don't think uh, these people know much about. So, yeah, very deceptive. Very, very, very. And uh, it's just not fun to listen to. Okay. Subject: The official White House account tweeted yesterday, the cost of a 4th of July cookout is down 16 cents from last year. 16 cents? There, there has been a reduction in some of the costs of key components of the 4th of July, a 4th of July barbecue. So that was it, what the tweet was noting. So does the White House think that 16 cents off a of barbecue has more of an impact on people's lives than gas being a dollar more this time 
but this works. I would say if right you there. don't like hot dogs, you may not care of the reduction of cost. You don't have to like hot dogs. Can't buy a but hot dog for 16 I, I, cents. a reduction of I will say time. that what we are most focused on is the fact that we've created now more than three million jobs since the president took office. That's what we're focused on and continuing to implement additional uh, components of his economic build back better agenda. So, yeah, you know, basically they made a huge mistake in saying that because it's dumb. I think I paid 277 for gas. I remember paying like so much less whenever Trump was president. And they, then they yeah, they come out and say um the hot dogs are going to be 16 cents less. Like basically trying to fight the claims that there is inflation. Okay, thanks a lot. That's really going to help me. Cheaper hot dogs. I sure would like some cheaper gas. How about that? I don't eat hot dogs. They're gross, and I don't know what that meat is. I have no idea. It could be human for all I know. I seriously don't know what that meat is. It tastes a little good, but that doesn't make it okay, and it doesn't make me want to eat it anymore. But she knows that, so then she's like, wow, well, you know what? We're working on getting, we, we got three million more jobs. It'd be like, like I slap somebody in the face, and then they're like, hey, you slapped me in the face, and you're like, well, you know what? I'm working on ending child hunger, okay? I'm working on that, so let's focus on what matters. But you slapped me in the face, child hunger, sir. Crazy, crazy stuff. That's why you gotta love Saki. Okay. Um, <laughs> this was a funny one. Uh, basically, I've been wanting to get to this. Uh, Joe Biden whispering. You'll get to hear it for yourself. And you said when people are waiting for relief. relief so far they're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential this week for child care a lot has been happened already number one number two i'm going to fight like heck to get them the rest of what i think has to be done well, that was Joe Biden there speaking at his administration's infrastructure plan conference. He began to whisper into the microphone when addressing reporters' questions. The decision to lean in and make his point has had social media in stitches, labelling him a creep and calling the whispers bizarre. But it didn't happen just once. Don't in any way dismiss what Senator Murphy says about the environment. Don't dismiss it at all. Just remind him, I wrote the bill on the environment. Third time's a charm. I'm not being critical of you all. I really mean this. It was legitimate questions you're asking me. Asking me, well, you know, guess what? Employers can't find workers. I said, yeah, pay them more. This is an employee's, employee's bargaining chip now. The press conference got a lot of attention from Twitter users who poked fun at the president for whispering to emphasise what he was saying to the White House press corps. One person wrote, Joe Biden's still engaged in a Q&A as he goes into bizarre answers and creepy whispers. Kayleigh McEnany tweeted, what did I just watch? Another user wrote, Joe Biden's creepy whispering and nonsensical blabbering all makes sense if you viewed from this angle. Another wrote, I've never in my entire life seen a world leader whisper on national TV like he's telling us a secret. This man is bonkers. 
Finally, I can't sleep. I'm having that nightmare about whispering Joe Biden again. The president has been at the centre of attention when it comes to his sound of mind. Last week, Trump and Obama's former physician, Congressman Ronnie Jackson, wrote a letter to President Biden urging him to submit a cognitive test the same way Donald Trump sat one in 2018. The president nor his press secretary has addressed whether or not Biden will take the cognitive test. He's not going to take it. I've, I, I was kind of hopeful that he would. He's not going to take it. Um, but he did whisper something. I don't know if you heard it. It was a part where he was like, you know, it's the employees. Maybe you should pay them more. This is an employee's bargaining chip. I don't even know how he whispered. It kind of like strains my throat a little bit to do that. Um, then again, I don't whisper all the time. So I, I've been thinking a lot about this and um, just the fact that, you know, people aren't doing, they're not working because the government is paying their unemployment checks. And I guess I, I I don't know the way that I was maybe raised or the way that I believe. I don't really understand why it is the government's role to pay people unemployment checks or that anybody should pay anybody's unemployment checks at all, ever, any institution unless it was maybe a charity, a nonprofit, or something along those lines, or somebody just trying to help somebody else out. I, I just don't get it. And I'm sure somebody else, you know, or anyone really listening to this would be like, wow, that's so crazy um, that you think that way. It's such a good thing that the government does that. Why? Why is that a good thing? Because you are delaying and getting a job. And I don't know, probably also somebody could shoot back like, oh, well, somebody could have a terrible circumstance. Everybody has terrible circumstances. And if somebody tells a story, somebody's got a worse story. And if somebody tells a worse story, somebody's got a story worse than that. Everybody's got tough stuff. Everybody's got terrible situations. So what are we going to do? You know, and why, why does it, why do my tax dollars need to go to somebody who isn't working? And I don't really blame the people. That's the thing. I think before I kind of wanted to, but I don't anymore. Because if I, if I could get $31,000 a year for not working, why would I work? <laughs> What's the point of working then? Especially if I'm like providing for a family. Or, or something along those lines, why would I work? I'm basically getting paid to do nothing, and if I decide to work, I'll be paid less. So whenever he says, employers should just pay more, basically, employers are competing with the government. They are competing with the government to, like, who's going to pay more? And the employers are paying for a service. They need the employees to do a job. McDonald's, for example. They need cooks. They need uh, people that clean, whatever. The government is paying them people to do nothing. So when McDonald's needs help and they don't have enough help, basically, the reason I'm thinking all about this is I went to Popeye's the other day. And I made an online order on the app. So then I was going, I, I, was, I was far away. And then I finally got there. The line was obnoxious, the drive-thru line. And of course, you can't go in there. 
uh, they've, they've had it closed for all of COVID. And so I had already paid my money and I don't really know how to do a return on the app. So I need to probably figure that out. But I had to wait for probably over 30 minutes. People would give up waiting in the line. The line would kind of go out the street and you'd see the car. Like I saw the same car in, in the place for over, it had to be over 10 minutes, just, just standing or just staying there. And finally I was able to get through. Finally, I was able to get my food. Um, but it was ridiculous. And of course, they have a now hiring sign. Basically, everybody's got the money to pay for the Popeyes. But it doesn't matter if everybody has the money to pay for the Popeyes. You got to have somebody supplying the Popeyes and cooking the Popeyes and serving the Popeyes. Otherwise, there's no point to all the money to pay for the Popeyes. And that's what we're facing right now. And I don't blame the people because it's the government's fault. Because the government is paying people to do nothing. So then those people are not benefiting society. We, I make, I make money. I have a job. I want to use that money to buy food, to feed myself. I choose to go to Popeye's. I, I want a service there. I want food to take home. And if nobody's working there, I can't do that. And if you look, everywhere is now hiring. Everywhere. And they're not going to win if the government keeps on paying people money. Why, why, why would somebody take a job at these terrible fast food places? <laughs> it, it is a, it's a serious dilemma. And yet Joe Biden is saying, with my money and with your money and with everybody's money, we're going to keep on paying them to do nothing. Now, employers, you need to start paying people more. What? That's my money. I don't want my money paying for people to do nothing. I'm telling you, if I was in government, I would strip everything down. So many agencies would be stripped away, gone. Our, the way we do spending is just nuts. Thank goodness I'm, I'm just a little girl and I can't do anything right now. But just wait. Just you wait. Because I'll be in that White House. And I'll be whispering to the press corps. Because apparently that's the thing you're supposed to do if you're president. So, um, yeah. I, I'm frustrated, but don't worry. Don't worry. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm still all right. I got the Popeyes. I got to eat what I wanted to eat. Their app has a really good, like, I don't know. I really like their app and... The, the food is just excellent, and the sandwich is amazing. And I usually don't even like sandwiches just because I don't want that extra bread. But, like, oh, their spicy chicken sandwich. Like, it was like a blessing to eat it. It's so stinking good. Thank you, Popeyes. Thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. I owe you my life. Okay, so let's... <laughs> Let's go to the verse. Romans 8.39. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is extremely, extremely comforting for me. Because sometimes 
I do feel separated from God, and I'm not blaming him. I'm blaming myself. And just the fact that there is this promise right here, nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. That, I, I, I need that. I need that encouragement. And there's so many promises like this in the Bible. And if you don't read it, you don't know. And I do read it, and I still don't know all this stuff because it's hard to remember things. So I, I needed that encouragement, and I hope that was a blessing to you that nothing can separate you from his love. And God, by the way, God will never love you anymore or any less than he loves you right now. He has that unconditional love. He's not like us, like humans. Because my love for Biden fluctuates all the time. Sometimes it's very little love. Sometimes it's no love. But God loves him all the time. The same. He loves him just as much as he loves me. And I thank God so much for that. I hope you guys have a great day. And enjoy your weekend. And sleep. Just make sure you sleep. Goodbye. Goodbye.